Welcome to Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. So today we're talking about Scripture. You know, talking about how to make God the foundation as we rebuild. That's how we're starting this series. And sometimes scripture is given a bad name. Let's be honest about it. Scripture is sometimes given a bad name. And and I can tell you reasons for that. I've probably even been guilty of some of them from time to time. Probably all of them for that matter. One of them is called proof texting. That's where somebody makes an argument and then they invoke a word from the, uh, a quote from the Bible to back up the argument that they just made. Now, that's thinking pretty high of your own arguments, isn't it? But usually that verse is taken out of context too. I've heard that done so many times. And then I think, oh, that's impressive. Then I think, wait a second, that's not what that story is about. (laughs) Then there's other times where people have a, a memory verse, say, and they use it in a little bit of a shallow way. Like let's say somebody uh, has something bad that happens in their life, some tragedy in their life, and somebody comes up and say, oh, don't worry, all things work together for good for those who serve the Lord. Well, that's true, but it doesn't really help the person who's just had a tragedy in their life, does it? It's almost like it's blowing it off or belittling their tragedy, and that verse itself is a little bit more profound and complex than that lets on. I don't mean to stomp on the intention of the person that said it, but it's, it's, just, it's a little shallow sometimes. There are other times where you see the Bible used as a weapon, uh, and I have a Bible in my office. This is, the, this is the one I usually use on Sundays. I have one in my office that's bigger, uh, and it was actually the one that the uh, annual conference gave me when I was commissioned, but I won't talk about that to our retired pastors. It's a good thumping Bible. I call it my thumping Bible, because you do this, and it makes just the most satisfying thump. <laughs> you know, sometimes the Bible gets used as a weapon, uh, and sometimes there are horrible abuses of scripture, like uh, justifying slavery was a a, a very uh, good or bad example, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, There is actually a painting that's out there too of Jesus on a white horse holding a sword. Now, if you remember, uh, just a few weeks ago, we read that verse in the book of Revelation of Jesus on a white horse with a sword. But do you remember what it says? It says the sword was coming out of his mouth. It's saying that Jesus' weapon, quote-unquote, is his words. It's a weapon of peace. So whoever made this painting stopped right before out of his mouth, right? It's taking it out of context. It, all of this leaves a bad taste in the mouth. And a lot of mainline denominations like Methodists and Presbyterians and uh, denominations like ours have been so turned off by these abuses of Scripture, and rightly so, that... I don't know. Sometimes we're. Sometimes I, 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 it feels like we're afraid to even use the Bible, or at least talk about it as much as we should, because we're afraid of being like those who've abused it in the past. You know, I've felt it as a pastor. I've pulled back because I don't want to come off like a ba- like one of those bad examples. And I see it as one of my missions as a pastor to teach a healthier way of using scripture. There's a reason that I make sure every one of my sermons, I have my Bible and I use it. Truth be told, I use this uh, on the weekdays. This Bible only gets driven on Sunday. (laughs) It doesn't mean I don't use it. What it does mean though, is that I see part of my uh, my, uh, mission as a pastor is to teach a good way of using the Bible instead. 
So let's talk. There's a little bit of theology that I think will help you understand uh, the role Scripture ought to play. I'll teach you two theology terms. Don't worry, the words aren't too big. General revelation and special revelation. Now, this isn't talking about the book of Revelation. The word revelation means reveal, something that's revealed, right? Uh, And general revelation talks about how God reveals himself in all things. So when you see a tree and you are moved by the beauty of that tree, when you contemplate how ancient a tree is, if it's an especially uh, especially, uh, 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 mature tree, Well, God is revealed to you in that moment through that beauty. Uh, I've seen so many scientists that that when they really get into the science of how the universe works, they can't be helped but be awed by the complexity of it. And they see something of God in science. There's one theologian that I think doesn't get talked about enough. His name is Teilhard de Chardin. And uh, he, uh, this is before the uh, Christians started arguing about evolution. He actually looked at uh, Darwin's work and said, oh my goodness, God's fingerprints are all over evolution. And look at how God is continuing to work in evolving us. Um, That's general revelation. Special revelation then is not about facts. It's not about knowledge in that sense of knowing God in terms of facts and figures. Special revelation is about knowing God's heart. It's about knowing God personally. And it happens in several ways. Uh, Oftentimes it's unexpected. It usually leads us to change. And it happens First and foremost, through the person of Jesus. When we hear the stories of Jesus, we come to know God as, as a person, literally, in Jesus. Even if, it's, even if it's one that we cannot meet face to face, the stories do it. Scripture is another way. When we read and study Scripture, things occur to us, ideas are placed on our heart. It's hard to put into words, but after a while you learn that kind of Holy Spirit feeling where you know that God is present in what you are reading, and you come to know God through the study of Scripture. And generations of uh, of faithful have, have seen it happen again and again so often through the Bible. It happens in Christian community too, by the way, in church and in the sacraments, but those are topics we kind of covered last week. Today, though, we're talking about knowing God through Jesus and the Scripture, special revelation. Now, if you've neglected reading the Bible, you're not alone. Uh, The Scripture that we read today needs a little history to make sense. Uh, There was a king in Judah named Manasseh, and Manasseh was, by all accounts, not a great king. A lot of things went wrong during his time. There was a lot of suffering, but part of what happened was he neglected the things of God. He neglected his faith. He turned to fortune tellers. He turned to mediums. There's a whole list in one of the history books in the Bible. (laughs) Uh, He turned to sorcerers. Uh, He set up altars to stars. You know, gods with a little case G of the stars. He set uh, set up altars to them. He turned to necromancy. And at one point, the peak of it, or the valley, if you want, if you prefer, even child sacrifice. Now, Judah and Israel had never been people who did such things. They were always the people that stood against such things and showed our God is a different God, our God is a loving God, our God is, well, you know how all that goes, right? In one especially telling and symbolic moment, 
uh, King Manasseh even set up an idol in the temple, the temple that was built by David and Solomon, the great kings. He set up an idol to another lowercase g, God. His son now did about the same. His son kind of towed the line for another generation. And by two generations worth, everybody had forgotten what they had learned. They had forgotten the faith of their ancestors. uh, And they were not in a good place. But then came along Josiah. Josiah was Manasseh's grandson, and he had been raised without knowing God either. He didn't really know what was missing from the picture. And that's where we pick up the story today in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the Lord's temple, this is one of Josiah's orders, essentially some spring cleaning, cleaning house after he took over, Hilkiah the priest found the instruction scroll that the Lord had given through Moses. Now, that would refer to the Torah, what we would call the first five books of the Bible, and what acted as their Bible at the time. So Hilkiah, while he's cleaning out the temple, finds this old scroll, and, he, uh, and Hilkiah tells the secretary, Shaphan, that I have found the instruction scroll in the Lord's temple. So Hilkiah turns the scroll over to Shaphan, who brought it to the king along with this report. Now, the report starts out with uh, just everything that's going on. Your servants are doing everything you've asked them to do. They have released the money that was found in the Lord's temple, handed it over to the supervisors and workers. But then the t- secretary, Shaphan, told the king, the priest Hilkiah has given me a scroll. We also found this. And he read the scroll out loud before the king. Now, as soon as the king heard what the instruction scroll said, he ripped his clothes. That was an ancient way of saying, I'm really mad. Not, not mad so much as disturbed by this. This is, this is, this is, this is really powerful what's happened. Uh, and the king orders Hilkiah, Shaphan's son, uh, and the secretary, uh, the royal officer, and, and, he, and he says uh, as follows, go and ask the Lord on my behalf and on behalf of those who still remain in Israel and Judah concerning the contents of this scroll that has been found. The Lord must be furious with us because our ancestors failed to obey the Lord's word and do everything written on this scroll. Now, I will tell you, this story is relatable on several levels. On one level, a generational one. You know, many of us look at our parents or our grandparents uh, or even further back and we see the faith that they had and, I don't know, we're inspired by it. We see, we can't help but wonder what they knew that we don't. Or maybe it's generational the other way. Maybe you worry about your children or your grandchildren who are not being brought up to know the things of God. Not that it's necessarily the only way. But knowing how God speaks through it in a way that simply cannot be found anywhere else, that it's important and it's worth knowing. We can relate to it seasonally about how we sometimes fall away for a season of our own lives. And maybe we don't even fall away all the way, you know, say, say from church or anything like that, but our own devotional life, our own study of Scripture, our own journey of getting to know God better falls away. Now, pastors are not immune to that at all. You know, one uh, trap that pastors fall into is studying Scripture when writing sermons and then never studying it for ourselves. When the pandemic started a year ago, I fell into that very one, 
things were so hectic and stressful and busy and our world was falling apart and that's exactly what happened. I didn't have it in me to engage the Bible, never mind that it would have helped me. <laughs> I still fell away and it was only Lent of this year that I got back into the habit and how good it is. So I get it, believe me, I do. Now, one thing to notice about that story is that Josiah actually starts out with the faith of others before he owns it for himself. Uh, at first, he asks his secretary to read the Bible to him rather than do it for himself. Now, a modern comparison, because, you know, none of us are kings, right? Uh, a modern comparison might be, the, the, uh, might be hearing the Bible in church but not reading it for ourselves. Having somebody else read it to you rather than engaging it your own self. Now, it's good, and it's a starting place, and it's a, it's a place where we all start. Uh, or, or maybe another example might be reading books about the Bible but not truly engaging Scripture yourself. Again, good, but missing out. Most of us start our journey by seeing that faith in somebody else and being drawn to it. I, I still do too. And by the way, that's part of where our church's vision comes from, of making fully alive people, how we see that life, that full life in Christ and others and are drawn to it and want to become like it and make more people like that ourselves. But there comes a point when we have to own our faith for ourselves. You know, at the end of the part I just read, Josiah says, you, you priests should go out and go tell people about this. You know, that's kind of, to, to paraphrase there, what happens. But then there's a switch. Then there's a switch where Josiah starts to, starts to live his faith as, uh, as his own person. The king sent a message and gathered all the elders of Judah to Jerusalem. Then the king, not his secretary, not the priest, the king went up to the Lord's temple together with all the people of Judah and all the citizens of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, young and old alike. There the king himself read out loud all the words of the covenant scroll that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king stood in his place and made a covenant with the Lord that he would follow the Lord by keeping his commandments. The king made it for himself, right? His instructions and his regulations, and he would do it with all his heart and all his being in order to fulfill the words of the covenant that were written on this scroll. Then he made everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin join in a similar promise. The citizens of Jerusalem lived according to the covenant made with God, the God of their ancestors. Now, the way it's recorded, because he's a king, he made everyone make the covenant. But I think it's a little more subtle. You know, kings can do that. But my guess is that they saw the faith in him. They saw the switch that happened in Josiah, and the people were moved by it too. It starts to rub off on other people. It can't help but. You know, I have a friend who's a pastor who uh, told me this story, uh, a God moment from his church. He said that there was a mom who started reading her Bible during the pandemic, a great story of a, a, a mom who rediscovered because she needed that anchor when everything was crazy. And one evening, she noticed things were a little bit too quiet. Now, any of you moms or dads out there know that moment when things are a little too quiet? Mm-hmm. And she walked into her kids' rooms and they were reading the Bible. 
Now, I don't think this is one of those moments where they're like, quick, cover up all of that and pick up your Bible. No, 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 no. They were actually reading the Bible. <laughs> and she never lectured to her kids, you kids need to read the Bible. I, I need my thumping Bible again, don't I? You kids need to read the Bible. No, she wasn't doing that. It turns out the kids had seen her reading the Bible. And they wanted to do it too. <laughs> It makes me think my own devotional time is in a time of the day and a place where the kids can't interrupt me for obvious reasons. <laughs> but maybe I should also do a little bit of it where they can see so that it, God might have a chance to let it rub off on them too. You know, I will give you a warning though if you're feeling the urge to engage the Bible more yourself. My warning is this. You have to be willing to risk how it will change you. Did you notice the last uh, phrase of that scripture? The people cast off all the other idols and all the bad things that they had been involved in, the fortune tellers and the mediums and all that. Now, that sounds like a good thing, right? Of course it is. But have you ever had an, a coping mechanism and then lost it? It's not easy. You know, the most obvious example are the, the most unhealthy coping mechanisms, things like uh, dependence on alcohol or drugs. On those, you actually go through a chemical withdrawal when you give them up. But all of us have coping mechanisms uh, on a scale from healthy to unhealthy, right? Things like uh, binging on Netflix late at night, things like uh, spending too much time on social media uh, as a way of escaping from the world. Uh, I went through a period where I was, um, I, I'm just going to use the word addicted, I was addicted to reading the news too much. Uh, and it was sending me to a bad place, but it was also a way of trying un, in an unhealthy way to cope with what was going on in the world. Well, when you lose those things, it's hard. It's hard to lose your old comforts. You know, the people in the story, they didn't know how to rely on God yet. So here they lost all of their old coping mechanisms, cold turkey, even as they were still learning to rely on God. You have to be willing for the, to, to accept the change that God brings into your life and trust that it will be better and never underestimate the power of it. You know, there's a man that I knew, and I'm, of course, changing the story up a little bit for uh, confidentiality reasons, but he was against accepting homosexuality on, quote, biblical grounds. Now, when this story happened, I didn't know how strongly he felt about that. Uh, it turns out pretty strong. <laughs> but I ha if I had, I probably would have chosen my words a little more carefully. But I rather flippantly used the old joke that's not really a joke about, you know how often Jesus talked about homosexuality, right? Anybody know? Goose egg, zero. And he was quiet at the time, probably because he didn't want to challenge a pastor. <laughs> but I found out later, he went home and read through all four Gospels. And knowing him, he may have done it in one sitting, like one long afternoon, read through all four Gospels because he was going to prove me wrong and find where Jesus talked about homosexuality. Now, he didn't tell me this story until years later. But when he did, do you want to know what he said? He said, when I got through reading all four Gospels, I started thinking that I've been caring about the wrong things. I need to care a lot less about other people's sexuality and a lot more about the poor because that's what I see in Jesus. <laughs> 
you have to be ready for the change God will bring your way when you do it. Now, before we end, I want to give you some practical tips in, in case you're thinking that you need to engage Scripture more in your own faith. Uh, one of them is get a good translation. I cannot stress this enough. Now, uh, the Bible is the Bible, and God can speak through it in whatever translation. Old ones like the King James Version are beautiful. Maybe you have an old family Bible around, and that's a wonderful heirloom, but I don't recommend it for your own study because you have to do so much, almost translate Old English into modern uh, in ways you don't even know how. I recommend the Common English Bible, CEB. You can buy them, of course. Um, uh, I'll show you how you can get a free one in the next thing that I'm going to say uh, if you want to just get started. But have a good translation. Common English Bible has taught me so much for my own faith. I've even gone back to my old seminary books and verified stuff I questioned, and my goodness, it was right, and it taught me something. So get a good translation that's easy to read. I also recommend using apps. Like I said, this is my Sunday Bible. In the week, I use this. Uh, there's an app called YouVersion. In the App Store, it's just called Bible. But if you search for YouVersion, you'll know you'll have the right one. It has the Common English Bible in there for free. It also has reading plans and will give you reminders to help you, uh, help you keep the habit. Olive Tree is another, another good one. Uh, the, the, this is, is the one that I use, actually. I recommend you start with the Gospels because those are the stories of Jesus. If you need a good place to start, uh, that's probably the easiest and the most fruitful. Uh, all, another good tool to keep in mind is to use the greatest commandments as a filter. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of all of the laws? In other words, of the Bible as they knew it, what is the most important thing in the entire book, the entire set of scrolls? And Jesus said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything, everything in all of Scripture is tied up in that one thing, to love the Lord your God. And he says, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you come up with something, to something that you don't understand, like let's say one of the violent parts of the Bible or stories that are more disturbing, put it through that filter and ask yourself, do we see the love of God reflected in this? And if not, you may need to understand it a little differently or do some more learning. So it's, it's a helpful filter because Jesus said that it all comes back to love of God and neighbor. When you read, reflect. Pay attention to what jumps out at you, because that might be the beginning of what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear. And lastly, don't do it alone. Get in one of our growth groups. We'll have another push happen in the fall. There are other groups as well. Even books and study Bibles can be a big help. What the Bible says is good, but the relationship that you build with God and others through it, that's the real point. That's the real point that comes through it. All right, well, I want to end with an old preacher story because I'm rapidly on the way to becoming an old preacher myself. But <laughs> in the meantime, there are stories that uh, pastors and pre preachers have used for years to illustrate points. And this is one of those, and it speaks directly to today. It's about a Hollywood dinner party. 
Uh, and the host had invited all sorts of actors to it and producers, behind the scenes folks, muckety mucks in Hollywood. And one of those in attendance was a, an especially renowned actor who was very old and hadn't been in anything for a while, but one of those old Hollywood classic actors. Now, after dinner, they moved to the parlor area. I would imagine there were drinks and comfortable furniture and all that. And the host says to this renowned actor, you remember when in such and such movie you read the 23rd Psalm? And, uh, and everybody in the room goes, oh yeah, that was a classic scene. And the host says, would you do it for us again? And so the actor hadn't done this for a long time, you know, but he stands up in the middle of the room, kind of that old style, you know, and he recites the 23rd Psalm in a really dramatic way. And people applauded and they compliment him on his literary style and acting ability. Well, a little while later, the host says, you know, you all haven't met my dad. He didn't want to come down for dinner, but I see him over there uh, and invites her dad out. Uh, and she says that, my, that her dad uh, was actually uh, recently retired as a pastor in a small little church. And then on a whim, she says, dad, you know the 23rd Psalm. Would you say it for us? Now, her dad was a little bit intimidated. I mean, he's standing in front of all these Hollywood muckety-mucks and, and great actors, you know. But he says, okay. And so he stands in the middle of the room and says the 23rd Psalm. And when he's finished, there was silence. Nobody applauded. A few people even teared up just a little bit. And finally, in a bit of the awkward moment, the renowned actor stood to his feet. And he says, friends, I know the 23rd Psalm. I know poetry and literature, diction and cadence. But my friend here, he knows the shepherd. That's special revelation. That's the relationship with God that is formed when we engage these stories and when we engage each other. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for me. And it's what God wants too, to know us. But it won't happen unless we're intentional. Would you pray with me? O oh God, great shepherd, we thank you. I'm reminded of the psalm that says, who, who are we, us little human beings, that the creator of the stars would want to know us and be known by us? Open our hearts and minds, O oh God. Help us to be intentional about engaging you, that indeed we might take advantage of a creator that loves us, of a creator that knows us, that we might know you too. We pray it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.